Hello and welcome to Sense and Sensitivity. I'm Hannah Stella and I'm here with my co-host. Co- co- <laughs> Coco. Coco. You go, Glenn Coco. Um, hi, I'm Cece Shia. Yes, welcome guys. This week we are just giving advice. We're answering some of your questions. But first, Cece, how was your weekend? How was your week? How was everything? <laughs> Life. Life is both good and hectic at the same time. This weekend I went to Gov Ball, which was a lot of fun. But as you get older and go to these things, especially I think festivals like Gov Ball, you realize how much younger people are getting, right? Like there's always those like cohorts of high school girls or high school boys all wearing like the same bucket hats and running around and it's like their first taste of freedom. And it's fascinating to see. That's really funny. Was it fun though? Were there older people there too? Did you feel out of place or was it just like, oh my gosh, there are children here and I'm going to go to the bar? It was, there were definitely older people there too. It just like, it was a younger demographic than I think some of the other music festivals, which require a lot more travel, right? Like you don't see, you can't like get together a group of teenagers to go to Coachella as easily, right? Whereas it is easier to just like hop on the seven and go to Corona Park. So that was a pretty good time. Some of the headliners and some of the artists were fantastic. And I always love being able to like see uh, artists that I probably wouldn't buy like actual concert tickets for, but I am always curious what they are like in concert. And it's a good way to also just discover new performers that you haven't seen before. So I've never seen Rina Sawayama and she was like absolutely incredible. I'm like such a fan now. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. How's your weekend? How's your week looking? It's good. It's very chill. My dining table is finally coming tomorrow. I think I have a couch. It's all happening. My cats are back, which is nice except that they used to sleep at the foot of my bed and now they are sleeping on me, which is very sweet. I'm like, oh, you miss me so much. And also I cannot sleep. I mean, I'm sleeping fine, but they'll like, they get very upset if I move. And I'm like, I don't know. I think that we have a hierarchy here and I should be able to move. (laughs) Yeah. How long have you had them? They got back last Friday on Friday and we're recording on Monday. So they've been here a few days, and I'm really proud of them. They adjusted very, very quickly. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're they're back with mom again. You know, mm-hmm. they're back, back and better than ever. They got kind of fat, which I'm not body shaming them, but I do think that cats are not people, and I might have to put them on a diet. Yeah, yeah. Cats also love being fat. Like they love food so much. Like left to their own devices, they will get fat. <laughs> And they're so cute when they're fat. They're so cute when they have big tummies and big necks, but it's not good for them probably. It's like bad for their joints or something, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And you want them to live long. I love rubbing their belly, so I totally get it. Yeah, so that's been good. And then otherwise, been very chill. I'm not drinking right now, as I said before. And so, I mean, that's been fine. It's been actually very easy, which I am delighted by. But I haven't really like... I don't really have the desire to like go out, go out when I'm not drinking. It just doesn't seem that fun to me to like yeah. go to a bar. Maybe I will. It's not really a trigger. It's not. It's not even not really. It's not a trigger thing. I'm just like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I don't know if I want to talk to a drunk man. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there is a special circle of hell where you just are the only sober person amidst like a bunch of drunk people because I do think it is like a uniquely hellish experience that, yeah, why put yourself through that? Like, especially when they're stumbling on you. I hate the like lack of personal space that drunk people have. And I am guilty of it too. I think probably if I drink a little, I'm like a lot looser with space. But when they bump into me, I'm just like, girl, you gotta move. Or like, boy, you gotta move. It's the most annoying. Yeah. So I've been very chill, very relaxed, which has been nice. I've not had a relaxed time in a while, so I was happy to have it. Yeah, I feel that. Even though Gubball was really fun, I kind of wanted this weekend to just do nothing. I did binge in between like getting ready for this weekend and this morning. I finished Netflix's Never Have I Ever. Have you heard of that? I don't even know what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just a Netflix show. It's had like four seasons now, and this is the final season. But it's about a first-generation Indian-American girl going through high school and like wanting to go to Princeton and dealing with 
just sex and dating and growing up and ambition and all of that. It's like every time I get to the final episodes, I'm just like crying. So this morning before we recorded, I like started halfway through my routine and I just started like sobbing and I was like now I have to redo some of my skincare so that I can oh no I know it's just so moving you know it just like really takes me back so I'm glad I kind of got some time to watch that because I guess this week I'll be flying to the UAE to go to Dubai and Abu Dhabi for about a week and then Sri Lanka for another week so it's it's a hectic time right now that's gonna be so much fun I've never been to Sri Lanka. Me neither. Me neither. But it's been on my list and my friend is getting married there. So I'm very, very excited to like go to a Sri Lankan wedding. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. I'm jealous. Yeah. I thought about going to India as part of it, but it is hard to plan. And I know you're trying to plan India right now, right? Yeah, I really think I want to go to India for my birthday next year because it's in late January and it says like sort of December through March is the best time to go. So I'm starting to look at it. People are saying you need to plan it in advance. I don't know if I will go or not, but if I do, I'll probably try and get started planning it in the next month or two, which is crazy. I've never planned a vacation that hard in advance. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's always been like a little last minute. Always pretty last minute. I suppose that there are some hotels where you kind of like when you leave, you rebook for the next year. But even yeah. those trips, I've only booked the hotel, like rebooking the hotel. And then I planned the trip like much closer to the trip. So it might be kind of nice, a new experience. Yeah, I think being able to figure out planning, especially in a place like India, is a learning experience. Yeah, I think it'll be good. All right. So what did people want to know? Yes. Okay. So let's get into some of the requests that we got for advice. So first, I feel like this will be an interesting one, how we both answer it, but how do you stop comparing yourself to others? So I think a couple of things. One, I don't think that comparing yourself to others is always bad in the sense that like, I do think that kind of jealousy of somebody's whole life or something can really eat away at you. And that's really difficult. And you don't really know the ins and outs of what their life is. But I think that sometimes whenever it's focused on a specific thing, it can help to sort of divorce the comparison from the source of the comparison, right? Mm. So if you have a friend who's like achieving a bunch of career goals that you want to achieve and you keep constantly comparing yourself to her, sort of you could turn that comparison into thinking like, I mean, you can ask, you can speak to your friends and say like, you're doing so amazing. I'm so impressed with you. Like, how do I sort of replicate this? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that sometimes we get so into removing ourselves from feeling bad about ourselves because of what other people are doing, which I do think is good. I do think it's good not to feel bad about yourself. But sometimes whenever you see something and you think like, I want that, If that person's close to you, then that can be a good way to learn how to get it, if that makes sense. Yeah. What about in situations where the person isn't close to you? Because I feel like that's a lot more nefarious where you kind of just see the highlight reel, but then none of the actual scars or like the effort or the things that have to occur in order to get to that spot. In that circumstance, I think it depends on the genre of the comparison. Like in a more professional sense, I think even when somebody is not close to you, sometimes you can reach out depending upon what their career is and things like that. But otherwise, if it's more like somebody who's just on social media, who has like a bunch of followers and it looks like they're just at the coolest parties and wearing the best outfits and stuff all the time, I do think that, you know, sometimes it's like unfollow, stop looking too much at their content if it's getting to you. Or, I mean, I think you just have to mature... And I I don't mean to call anybody immature. I don't mean that in a rude way. But I I think you just have to mature enough to realize that like it's people's right to share their highlights and they're not doing anything wrong. But it's your job as somebody who's consuming media to understand that this is highlights and you're not seeing the full story. Mm -hmm. And you might not actually want to trade if you knew the full story. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I like your breakdown of kind of like close comparisons versus far comparisons. I think often we're victim to both, but the close comparisons feel a lot more hurtful because they are people that we should be supporting, like should feel happy for. And I like your way of turning that into something positive, like just asking them about how they do something or use that as a bonding thing. 
And I say this as someone who only recently discovered that people like it when you ask them for advice, for the most mm-hmm. part, like it's very flattering. It's not usually you just trying to ask for something and they're like annoyed. Usually there is like a lot of flattery associated with that. So yeah, if there is someone that you compare yourself to and you're like, how do they get there? I think they would be really, really flattered if you just ask them like, oh, how did you get there? And they're like so happy to share that all the time. But I do think for like the further comparisons, the ones that we don't know about, those are hard because you kind of just have to regulate yourself, like you said, and not consume the things that will actively hurt you. And so I compare myself to like people all the time to the point where there are certain people, not people that I'm ever really close to, because I think for the people that I'm close to, I do see like the efforts, I do see them crying, I do see like the setbacks a lot more. But for the people who are just, I don't know, they're usually like mutuals on Instagram or TikTok or something where like they feel close enough, but still far enough because I don't know them in real life. And those are the people that sometimes I'll like incessantly check their profiles, see their growth, like see how they're doing and honestly beat myself up over how they're doing versus how I perceive I'm doing. And in the same way, I don't know, do you have any like OCD tendencies or habits that you know you shouldn't do, but you still do anyway? I eat the same food all the time. (laughs) Is that out of anxiety? I think I'm very, I don't think this has evolved. I think it's like the opposite of that. I think I'm very, I don't really think I have very much of that. Please speak about it. I'll be able to empathize, but I don't, I have like, mm, I really don't have those habits. Sometimes I don't like to step on the cracks on the sidewalk. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or like if the tiles are different colors, I like to step my left and my right foot on the same color, like if there's every like 10 tiles, a blue tile, yeah, I like to step on the blue tile with both feet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a no for what you're asking. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's probably like a baby version of what I'm asking, but I think that's all habits, right? There's always like habits that then balloon to interfere with your life and that becomes a bad habit. Whereas like Mm -hmm. the habit itself may not necessarily be bad. So I have a lot of like bad habits associated with like picking off my like skin and, you know, biting my nails. That used to be a really bad habit. And like, those are the things where if you do it a little, it's like not great, but it's also whatever. But when it interferes with your life, that's when it becomes a problem. And I kind of feel that way about comparison too. It's like some comparison, it's like, eh, it's like whatever. It might not be like the best thing in the world, but it does show you're aware of your surroundings. Just like me biting my nails was like, I would just see something wrong with my nails and I'd be like, I have to fix this. But if you let it overtake your life, if you do it so often that you can't actually even live your own life or continue advancing in your own life because you're just comparing yourself with others, that's when it's a bad habit. And in the same way that there were times where like I would be so obsessed with picking the skin off my fingers that I wouldn't actually be doing the work. I would just be like in front of my computer, picking my skin off and like not doing work. And that's the part that's like, it's become a bad habit at that point. And I think comparison is kind of similar. There is a spectrum of, you know, it's a fine thing to have versus it's a bad habit and trying to recognize when it becomes a bad habit and then stopping yourself from reaching that point, I think is fairly important. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I thought of one other sort of small piece of advice that has like Less to do with comparison and more to do with sort of confidence, because I think that whenever people feel really good about themselves and the direction that they're going, they naturally kind of shed those sort of comparison habits in a bad way, which is that I think that we all have things that we like about ourselves and that we're proud of. And even if they're small things or things that bring us joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes if you start by finding ways to elevate those things or include them in your life more, that that can be a massive help. So like if you like putting together outfits and you feel like confident in your sense of style, then just even if you have nowhere to go, even if you're just going to the grocery store, start getting dressed every morning, if that is what makes you feel good and like throw a picture up on Instagram or take one just for yourself to save your outfits. You know, if you love reading and you know that you have like interesting opinions on books, like start going to book club. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that sometimes if we start with the things we feel confident about and develop a sense of achievement with those, that then that can lead to a sort of deeper sense of fulfillment. And I do think that I don't think comparison ever stops, but I think that the really 
negative comparison that this person's asking about that really affects our lives. I think the more secure you are and the more happy you are with yourself, the less the comparison gets to you. Yeah. And it aligns with all of the research around how good just being grateful and like counting your gratitudes every day can do for you. Like in so much of therapy, the first thing they'll ask is like, oh, do you like every day count three things that you're grateful for? And that's like, I don't know, it's simple, but it really has a huge impact on your well-being and just like being grateful for who you are and what you have done rather than focusing on where you could be, where someone else is, because that's not, I don't know. It's like, I feel the impulse too, but it's ultimately a bad habit. Yeah. All right. How about this? In the next few months, I, not me, the person asking (laughs) this question, I'm going to have to socialize with my husband's ex-fiance due to mutual friends. We've had a few awkward encounters, once when she was especially unpleasant. In the past, any advice for how to handle seeing her? So I don't know if I've actually ever had to deal with a situation like this because Nathaniel is always on such bad terms with all of his exes. We kind of joke that for our wedding, we should invite all of our exes to be our like respective bridal party. So like bridesmaids or groomsmen and see who comes because the number of exes that show up to be in your bridal party would probably be an indicator of how poorly the relationship went. But I do think in order to deal with this type of situation, I'm always a fan of trying to take the higher road. And I know it's really hard, blah, blah, blah. Like the moment I see someone being rude to me or something like that, I just kind of want to burn the earth, salt the earth, all that. But I don't know. In those situations, I'm very much like, but then you need to take the high road there, right? Like you have to kind of work against your impulses, emotionally regulate yourself and, you know, just be polite. Like don't go out of your way to be like super nice, but, you know, say hi, say, how are you? Don't cut someone out of the conversation. Just like- I would go out of my way to be super nice. Really? Yeah, I would. Why? I would. I'm not saying it's good advice. Just because then if she tries to, this is so, this is so conniving. Then if she tries to talk shit, she looks horrible. But you don't think that like being overly nice also can seem like an attack in that way? Like it is. Well, I'm, I'm very nice. I'm very nice when I meet people. I think if it was out of character, then it would seem like an attack. But mm-hmm. when I see people, I am very like, I always give big hugs if I meet somebody. Like if somebody stops me on the street from TikTok or something, I always like give them the biggest hug. So I would treat the ex-fiance the same way. Even if she was rude to you in the past? Yeah, I ran into like an ex-friend of mine the other day and I like, I didn't even mean to. It's just how I respond to those situations. I don't know. Maybe everybody then thinks I'm crazy, probably. But like, I don't know. I just think it's like, just meet people with warmth. That's probably, I don't know that it's the best advice, but it's what I would do. I think your advice is probably better. But what I would do is be like, oh my gosh, hello. I would give her a sincere compliment. I would be like, your skin is glowing. <laughs> I love your hair color. Whatever, whatever is true. You can only give people true compliments. Do not lie. That is very bad. But I would be like, I love your dress. How is it going? I heard you're doing this. That's phenomenal. Like I would just be as nice as I would be to an actual friend. Okay, you're way nicer than me because I don't think I could bring myself to say that to someone whom has been rude or mean to me before. Like, I just can't bring myself to like dig up that level of warmth. But what if somebody mean to you is wearing a really pretty dress? Then someone else can tell them. They should be nicer to other people so that other people tell them. But it's not going to be me. They didn't do anything to deserve that compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like... I think I have a kind of essentialist nature when it comes to these things, which is like, if you are rude or mean, even if you do something amazing, I probably won't compliment you on it because I'm just like... Yeah, I guess if you wanted to be really petty. But not openly so. That's the thing. It's like, I know I shouldn't be openly petty, but I also can't bring myself to be like nice, even about true things to someone who is rude to me. Well, I think that I would, I would think of it like this. Okay. So she didn't provide this context, mm-hmm. but she also didn't not provide the context. She said her husband's ex-fiance. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she didn't say, and her husband or, and her boyfriend or, and her fiance, which leads me to guess that the ex fiance is single. And I think what I would do is I would think like, how would I feel if I thought that I was going to spend the rest of my life with somebody? And then I ended up in a situation where I was with him and his new wife and I was by myself. And there's all of this stigma about single women when everybody's at the married age. And I was in this situation where I was very intimidated and nervous And I would just think like, yeah, of course, she's going to be a little bit rude to me. And so like, just be nice. I think it's only human for her to be rude to you. And I think that the best thing to do is just to be authentically kind to her and try and win her over. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a really tough situation. Can you imagine how hard that would be being at a party with your ex-fiance and his wife? Yeah, no, I can. I just don't think it excuses. So they said that one time was like, she was especially unpleasant. And I like extending grace to people. Okay. You know what? You're right. I would try to extend her grace, but like, it depends on how bad this one, especially unpleasant situation is. I agree. I agree. If she like threw paint on your head or something, then like, no, I'm just assuming that she was just like rude. Yeah. I don't know. I think anytime someone tries to, okay. If she is vulnerable first, then maybe I would be able to do it. Or maybe I would try like one Hail Mary conversation topic that tries to talk vulnerably about something I've been thinking about. And if she tries to throw that in my face, then I will throw that in her face. But you're right. Maybe (laughs) it should start with one attempt. You're going to engage me. And to be fair, I wasn't saying to like go and have a heart to heart necessarily. I was saying more just say like, it's so good to see you the dress you picked out is really beautiful. Like something like that. Or like maybe not it's so good to see you because that's probably a lie. So just something sincere. Like, oh, I love your dress. And I heard that you started a new job. Like, tell me about that. That seems really awesome. Or I heard you were just in Turks and Caicos. I've wanted to go there. Tell me about it, please. Like I I wouldn't try and necessarily like dig deep. I'm not, I wouldn't try and make her cry. Oh, I would just sort of be like warm. Yeah, I guess it's harder than the abstract to like figure out how I would actually react to it. But I'm very much like arm's length if they have done something to me before. And then just like, I don't know, talk to the other guests because it's each woman for themselves. Yeah, fair enough. But I think you'll be all right. Not well, everybody will be fine. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, you know, former close friendships, how do you deal with former close friendships fading away or friend breakups? I think for me, I try to, this is sort of the same as, as what I was just saying. I try to understand where the person's coming from, even if I don't agree with it, even if I'm incorrect. I think that when I've imagined a point of view that they could have that like led them to not want to be friends with me, I can always sort of accept it. Yeah. I don't know if I like think so much about why they didn't want to become friends with me. I think it's so much more in adulthood. Why other things got in the way is often what really happens, especially for like friendships fading away. It's usually not like an active decision like, oh, I'm going to let this friendship fade away. It's much more other things in life getting in the way. And I have, especially in New York, a couple friends that in the beginning totally thought we were going to be best friends. And then there would just be non-acceptance of bids. Like, you know, the concept of bids from psychology, right? Mm, I feel like I can use context clues. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's actually the number one predictor of like whether a couple, a romantic couple will break up, which is in therapy sessions. Every time one of them, you know, gives something to the other or like starts an introduction to something, it's called a bid. And if the other person doesn't pick up that bid or doesn't accept that bid too many times, then it's kind of a bad sign for the relationship. So I feel like this happens in friendships too. Whereas like, you know, if you are always the one offering to someone else to, you know, hey, do you want to get dinner? Do you want to get a drink? And they always say, no, that's a bad omen for the friendship, right? So I've had a lot of little situations where it seemed like I was always giving the bid and they were always rejecting the bid. And it's not so much like they want to say no to you, but there's just like other things that they 
want to say yes to more or I don't know, their like lives are just going in a different direction. And I think trying to view it not as an active rejection, but more of a passive occurrence, I think helps it feel a little bit more like less bad. And it's not so much a rejection of you. Yeah, so I totally agree. I think I was responding more to the friend breakup where I'm thinking of more like somebody you're really close friends with and there's not so much a fading away as like kind of a, usually it's like a little bit of a fade, but where it's more of a definitive like, oh, okay, this person and I used to be very close friends and we are definitively not friends anymore. Yeah. I certainly agree with you when it comes to like, you start being friends with somebody and then it kind of fades out or just even like long-term formerly close friendships where it slowly fades. Yeah. I think there's two kind of different types of friend breakups, the kind of fade out kind. And then the kind where there is an event or where you just start to sense this energy that you like have pretty quickly become like negative for each other. And I was responding to kind of how I reconcile the more abrupt and like bigger change one. I completely agree with you in terms of something where it's more of just a fade out, just like circumstances changing or meeting somebody and thinking like, oh, this would be a great friend for me. And then it doesn't pan out that way. Yeah. 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 So I've never actually like, I think experienced a more abrupt friend breakup. So I'm very curious how you position that in the scheme of like your life. Because I feel like that leads a gaping hole more than the fading away friendship, which kind of like, because it's so incremental, it's almost easier to deal with emotionally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had a, a friend breakup recently. I just wrote about this actually. But I had a friend breakup recently that was like really, really upsetting to me because what it was ostensibly over did not make any fucking sense. Like it was complete <laughs> fucking nonsense. And I was really mad because I was like, this does not make any sense. Like that this, like I know this person well and like, they're not mad at me about this. Like, that's, yeah. the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm being like silly and overstating it. But I was kind of like, no, like that doesn't make any sense. And then I was talking to a mutual friend about it. And I realized I really want to, I apologize for sort of sidestepping the meat. I don't want to get into the details because oh, I, I have no. no like ill will toward this person now that I've like worked it out in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to like, out them or say anything bad about them. Yeah. But I realized that actually what I suspect is that she and I have gone through some very similar things in the last few years of our lives. And in some ways they're going very differently for each of us. And I think that actually sometimes with certain people, when you handle like big things differently, mm -hmm. it can be really, really hard to be friends with somebody who's going through the same thing who's handling them differently than you would, even if like you're both handling them the right way for you. Yeah. And so for me, when I sort of reached the conclusion that I thought whether consciously or subconsciously, it was just like, because of the circumstances of our lives, like I was really angry. I was really hurt. And then whenever I sort of realized like, oh, I think just like the circumstances of our lives right now, it's just too upsetting for us to be, for us to be close friends. And like, maybe the reason she's saying isn't, isn't the real reason. I, instantly personally like it was kind of crazy I like instantly felt completely at peace with it mm -hmm. and I was like oh and if things change like maybe we'll be close friends again in the future like it was very it like flipped like a switch for me yeah. and I don't know look like maybe she's actually mad about the thing I think is dumb I don't know yeah. but regardless it like healed my psyche yeah. to sort of think and I'm not, I'm not blaming her to just sort of think like, oh, we could have an incompatibility based on circumstances and, and that makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't matter if it's right, if it makes a lot of sense and, and is stopping something from upsetting me and preoccupying me. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's not, I want to be clear, what I was thinking was, was pretty balanced on both of our parts. It wasn't like, oh, I realized that she's insane. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I get that. And I think that's something I really struggled with when I went away to college was a lot of my high school friends, they all still hunt out with each other. They still hang out with each other like a lot because they all still live in the Bay Area. And at first I felt really hurt by the fact that they were all hanging out without me. They were all living their lives and I was elsewhere. And it did feel like our friendship suffered a little because we just couldn't see each other as often. But what you were saying about like recognizing that under different circumstances, it wouldn't have happened, I think is really, really healing because it does leave open this possibility that in the future, under different circumstances, like 
you know, we can pick up where we left off and that's okay. But there are just parts of life that we can't control that act upon our relationships and our friendships and just these forces. But it's not a commentary on any of the people involved. It's more of just life. Mm -hmm. What is your advice for how to deal with a guy who is breadcrumbing? What is breadcrumbing? Breadcrumbing is when somebody gives you like a little bit so that you kind of keep following them. Like if you like want like a duck to follow you or something and you like throw a breadcrumb down and then like they follow you and then you keep walking and then as soon as they get distracted, you kind of throw another breadcrumb down. It's like doing that, but emotionally, like with dating. Oh my so God. he's kind of like ignoring you, but then like every once in a while showing enough interest to make you think it's like not worth giving up on the situation. Yeah. I am always an advocate of giving to others how much they give to you. And I know that's probably not like the most generous response, but especially in dating, I do think you need to protect your peace and like protect yourself so that you can continue dating other people or like, you know, finding what makes you happy, even if it's like not dating at all. But I do think for like guys who are breadcrumbing, just being able to like take a huge step back and also giving them the same flavor that they are giving you. Okay, this is going to sound kind of unhinged. But whenever I got too invested with a guy, I would usually be like, all right, it's time to start dating at least two other people. So that every time I feel like I want to text this one guy, I have two other people to text and split between two different options. I feel like you then don't give any one person like too much. And I think that kind of helped me. Did it work as like an overall strategy? Probably not. But in the moment, it did help me like continue on with my life and like, I don't know, just like not invest myself too much in that like one person. Yeah, that's not exactly my personal approach, but I don't disagree with you. I would say if a guy's breadcrumbing, look, I know people get mad. I know this is gender and I know all of that stuff. But I think that unless there is some some reality of the situation that would mean that the woman needs to be the pursuer because the man would be uncomfortable, like pursuing something. Mm hmm. So like an example of that would be, I don't think that you should get involved with like employees, but like if you worked at a company and you were the boss of a team as a woman and you had a project for a while with some people mm -hmm. who you're no longer working with, like a former client who is like younger and more junior, right. like then I would say if you're romantically interested, like you can reach out because probably he's not going to reach out to you. Does that make sense? Because of like the power dynamic? Yes. And that was like a made up example. I don't know if it was a good one. It might've been like offensive. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I just can't, I can't right now. Unless there's some sort of structural situation where like yeah. he's unlikely to pursue you. Like if it's like your doctor or something. Right. But how would you breadcrumb as a doctor? I feel like no, that no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Sorry, okay. I, I didn't get all the way there. I was saying unless my belief is in heterosexual relationships, unless there's some reason that the woman needs to like be the pursuer and show clear, like very, very clear interest in the beginning, mm -hmm. he should be pursuing you and he should seem like a little bit more interested and excited. And I, I think see. that if a guy is like breadcrumbing, I would just like stop talking to him. I would stop talking to him and it'll go one of two ways. Like either then he'll stop talking to you too, which mm -hmm. like that's your answer or he will realize that you're not going to kind of keep up with his, like you're not going to pursue him because he's breadcrumbing you mm -hmm. and he'll start to like sort of take action. But I think that either way, his feelings will be clear to you and then you kind of have your answer. Interesting. I yeah, I can see that. I guess it just depends on how invested you think like even keeping him in your orbit would be during this like breadcrumbing process. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're bothered by a guy breadcrumbing, then it probably means you should cut it off, if that makes sense. Because I think that somebody who you weren't that into, mm -hmm. if they were breadcrumbing you, you wouldn't even notice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like really like, not dating right now, but I meet people and then I give them my phone number because I'm scared of men. And then like, if they text me once every like four days, I do not notice that it's once every four days. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's fucking texting me again. Like I'm the breadcrumber and I'm not interested. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It feels a little like 
if he wanted to, he would, which is like an advice that I have very mixed feelings on. And I think dating is like hard enough as it is that if you do feel something with someone, even if he is breadcrumbing you, I don't know. I wish I had a better answer or solution to how to keep that in your orbit without being over-invested. But I guess that's what I'm trying to go for is like, how do you keep that person in your orbit? Because clearly you care about them in a way. And I think caring is very rare in life such that we want to like keep that, but not in a way where it's, it becomes bad or toxic for yourself. I hear what you're saying. I guess if like, if you're bothered by the amount that he's like reaching out to you and interacting with you, then I think it is bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's why my solution was how do we like keep that, but make it less bad by dating other people, which may or may not be a good solution, but, or maybe even, okay. What would you say to, if you just like brought up the, that you were bothered by this? Just like kind of go straight, honest, 100%. I think if you're in a relationship, like actually in a relationship and somebody's not communicating with you, then I'm just going to be very honest. If you're in a relationship and somebody's not communicating with you and they're sort of like your boyfriend, but they're doing like a boyfriend version of breadcrumbing, I think absolutely bring it up. I think that some people just have different like texting and like calling styles Mm -hmm. and you have to communicate and like meet in the middle. I think to be like perfectly honest and not a hypocrite, if a guy that I had like been out on one date with and was sort of like sporadically answering his texts sent me a message and was like, hey, like I wanted to talk to you about like the amount that you're communicating with me. I just can't imagine I would be super receptive. I think that like the lack of communication is the communication. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I think that whenever you're new in a relationship and you're excited and you've just met somebody who you're excited about, I think that you are texting them or like trying to talk to them constantly. And I don't think it's exactly like if he wanted to, he would. I think it's a little bit about like, you just deserve somebody who's like excited about you. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is not making you feel like they're excited about you, then either they're manipulating you in which case, like, stop talking to them and see if they stop manipulating you or if they're just manipulative or they're just not that interested. And then you need somebody who's like interested in you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the question is how many dates have they been on? And that's kind of context we don't have for this, but yeah, I agree. If it's like one date, then you kind of have to like look at yourself and be like, why am I so bothered by all this? And like, I should probably like find someone who actually is interested. So next question I have is why is traveling with friends so hard? It always starts as a great idea, but then it sucks. I like that question. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's hard because people have different preferences and idiosyncrasies for the way that they travel and the things that they like to do. And there ends up being kind of one person a lot of the time who plans the trip and then that person feels like the boss and that can just make it really difficult. Mm-hmm. I think that a good way to handle it is to sometimes you just find couples or other people who you like travel really, really well with and to travel with those people. And then otherwise, whenever you go on trips with friends, I think a good solution is not to like plan everything and not to plan to spend all of the time together. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to a beach resort or something, maybe you have like dinner together every other night and have like a couple of like optional like beach things that everybody's doing instead of like having an itinerary. I think that makes it much easier because then like the spa people can go to the spa and the workout people can work out and the drink on the beach people can drink on the beach and nobody feels like they're missing out or not participating or as angry that other people aren't. What do you think? Yeah, it's taken me a really, really long time to even figure out what my own travel preferences are. So I think it's totally normal if you're like, wow, I'm trying these travels, I'm trying to travel with my friends, and like each trip just isn't going exactly how I want it to be. Because I think that's like part of the trial and error of figuring out how to vacation and what your vacation style is and how it best fits with other people's vacation styles. Like I remember. For my first Euro trip, I went to Berlin with someone. And I mean, I do love clubbing. I love like seeing what any city, particularly what it's known for, like experiencing that. And the person I went with was like, I don't want to go clubbing. I just want to go to nice beer garden. So that's what we did. And after that trip, I was like, I was a little mad 
because I felt like he got in the way of the Berlin trip that I wanted. But I also knew that was irrational because it wasn't like I advocated for myself. It wasn't like I was like, okay, I'm going to do it by myself anyway. I think it was like, in my head, I thought we wanted the same Berlin trip. And it turned out we did not. And But the question is like, then what do you do about it, right? Like, what do you do about the fact that that happens? And I do think what you said about having to determine ahead of time when you're going to converge and when you're going to diverge is really important. And if it is like a divergence that it's just like one person who wants to do something, that's where it can get the loneliest because you're kind of like, oh, but I didn't plan on traveling alone for something. And I actually really do like, if that is a huge concern, staying at like a more social setting. So maybe that's a hostel or some kind of resort where there's a lot more interaction amongst people so that in case you do want to do something by yourself and no one else in your group wants to do that, you can find other people who want to do that. So like for that trip, that Berlin trip, I think we kind of screwed up by staying at Airbnbs because we didn't like really get to meet people. But if we had stayed in a hostel instead and he was like, I just want to go to beer garden, I probably could have found people to go clubbing with. And that would have worked a lot better for me. So being able to like put yourself in those situations where you can find what you're looking for is really important and recognizing that it probably does not have to all be with the people with whom you came on the trip with. I sort of thought of something from what you said, which is also, so I think that it's sort of going off of your Berlin trip as an example. I don't know all the details. I think it's a good idea whenever you're going on vacation with somebody to ask sort of everyone what their goals and preferences are and things like that. And like, if he wants to go to beer gardens and you want to go clubbing, you should sort of both agree to do both of those things, even if they aren't your favorite thing. And I think this is going to be one of my hot takes that makes people angry. (laughs) I know that it's your vacation. I know that it's your money. When you agree to go on a trip with other people, it is your responsibility to at least some of the time do the things that they want to do that you don't want to do because you're getting the advantages of going with your friends and bonding with your friends. And if your friend, like, I'm not saying things that are like triggering, like if you're sober and you can't go to nightclubs because like nightclubs are are a big trigger for you, I'm not saying go to a nightclub, like use your brain. But I'm saying that like, if nightclubs aren't your favorite thing and you're choosing to go on the trip with your friends and they want to go to nightclubs, you have to go. You have to. You have to. And if you don't want to do that, then you should go on. Then you should find a friend who wants to do exactly what you want to do. Or you should go on vacation by yourself because going and doing things with groups are about accommodating the group. And I think that for group travel, everybody needs to have that attitude a little bit. And then it like works really well. Everybody needs to be a little bit more go with the flow than they usually are. And a little bit more willing to try something that is not their favorite thing than they usually are. Yeah. And you just have to show up with a good attitude. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But it's, it's not your vacation. It's everybody's vacation and you need to be a team player. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Don't go on a group trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think it comes down to being assertive about if there is like one thing you want to do, like letting people know that, because I think that was my pitfall was I wanted to go with the flow. And like, I knew that a lot of the other people sometimes were doing a lot more of the planning and, you know, we all like not planning, like planning is mental Mm -hmm. load. We want to not plan, but then we can't then look at the itinerary and get mad about the itinerary if you like didn't do any of the planning. So if there is something you want to do, like you also have to look at the itinerary and like do a little bit of planning for the thing that you want to do. And it's kind of this, like you have to be more go with the flow, but you also have to be more self-assertive and assertive with friends. I completely, completely agree. Yeah. All right. Here's a, a one. I don't really know the answer. What do you think the wives roles are when men have full blown midlife crises, wait or leave? Ooh. Oh God. Gotta throw you a curveball every once in a while. I know. Man, I think it so much depends on where the relationship has come from, right? And like where you are before this midlife crisis. Because I feel like crises of identities are just very common. So it doesn't make sense to always just be like at the first sign of any kind of identity crisis, be like, I'm out. Because there are a lot of situations where I do think people are just working through things. And when you get married, you kind of promise to help each other work through these things. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it probably, it depends what the behavior is Yeah. in terms of like a midlife crisis, right? If somebody pulls all of the money out of their 401k and decides that they're like moving to another country and like gonna form a harem there, like you probably should leave. But if somebody has like a, a run of the mill midlife crisis, I agree. I also think that sometimes I don't think it's I think, you know, your husband, if it's a midlife crisis and you're like the wife in the situation, that to me implies that you've been married for a while. Not that this is like a, like a short term, not short term, but like a shorter relationship. Sort of the context of the question implies that you've been together for a long time. So, you know, your, your husband, boyfriend, whatever it is. But I do actually think that sometimes you don't have to actually leave to sort of act like you're leaving and kind of snap people back into it. I do think that whenever people are going, no, listen, this is, this is good. This is real. Like whenever people are going through like a sort of personal crisis, yeah. we become very like internally focused and we're right. really thinking about our feelings and our actions and how everybody's affecting us and not how we're affecting them. Right. And I think that sometimes depending upon the situation. And so like, if this is you and this speaks to you, then you'll know to try it. And if not, then like, don't, whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. If somebody's having a midlife crisis and they're just behaving like crazy and you are waiting around, maybe like move out or move their stuff out. And then just like, sometimes people really need a shock to snap back into it. That's what I think. That's what I think. Like if if your husband who's been like a normal sweet guy, all of a sudden is going out until three or four in the morning and like going to strip clubs and he's like, Oh, like I'm having a hard time. Like you'll tolerate it. Like try and work through it with him. And then if you won't like sort of draw a line in the sand and see if he kind of gets his act together. Yeah. I only make these faces because knowing me and again, I'm an Aries. So like I get mad very quickly and I like get very intensely mad. And like, if someone did that to me, I would start meeting them and then be like, okay, cool. So this is my line in the sand. And then we'll just like never meet each other ever. And I feel like it just becomes like a one upsmanship where we just increasingly take steps away from our relationship. And that's fine. But like it, I just don't then see a way for us to reconcile at all. Just like knowing my personality and. So then what, what do you do instead? So again, I think it depends on what about the behavior is concerning you, right? If it is like, you know, staying out all night, like shirking duties, going to the strip club, all these things that make you feel not like a teammate in the relationship, I probably would try to just start with like communicating why they want to do these things. Like what is leading them to want to go to the strip club or like to not include me in their life and probably push us to go to therapy. And that probably would be a non-negotiable. Like you have to continue, you have to like go to therapy with me like every week and we have to talk this out or else like showing a lack of willingness to communicate, I think would be a deal breaker in that instance, but not necessarily. I don't know. I don't think I would be able to just like move out because I do think that sets like a bad precedent for what is to come. Like you're either in or you're out. I guess I was sort of assuming that like when the midlife crisis started, that things like therapy and talking to each other were already suggested. But were they acted upon? I mean, you can't go to therapy by yourself if the person won't go with you. That's true. Okay. Oh, all right. Well then I would have left a lot earlier than him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not right about this. I am like such an Aquarius. I'm like, all right, well, we'll just see the consequences of your actions. Like I never, oh my gosh, I can count on both of my hands the number of times that I've raised my voice at a romantic partner. That's probably a good thing. Mm, I don't know. (laughs) I sort of just like take notes and then disappear into the night. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. But I do, I do think that sometimes with something like that, with women too, but with men in particular, I guess I just think that if somebody is not receptive to more traditional lines of communication, you have to show them that you are willing to take action and you have to, yeah, I don't know exactly the answer. I've never been exactly in that, in that situation, of course. Yeah. But I agree. I think if, 
there was a rejection of communication and therapy and all of that in the first instance, then I would probably not even just move out. I would just be like, well, this is done. Like, I don't know how to fix something like this where you won't even start to communicate with me and would just start, I don't know, probably divorce proceedings and like meeting a divorce lawyer and all of that. Yeah, because I don't even know if I'd be able to like feel comfortable just like moving out and still watching all of this happen, knowing that, I don't know, that's just like, that's like painful. Like clearly they are not trying to communicate with you. So why stick around? Yeah, I think that's sort of what I was saying. It's like, you can't really do, make these actions hoping that they'll, or I mean, you can hope, but thinking that necessarily it'll work out in the way that you wanted. But I think that what I was sort of trying to get at that I didn't say is like, for your own sense of self and like dignity. I think that sometimes you have to be like, all right, well, I'm removing myself from this situation because of your behavior. Mm -hmm. And so you have a sort of acute opportunity to change your behavior. And if you're not going to, then both of our lives will be very different and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you took the step to move out, because I think if I did that, it wouldn't even be like step to move out. It would be like divorce, all of that, the whole shebang. Would there be a world in which after you moved out, they got their act together that you would be able to like forgive them and come back together? Yeah. I'm pretty, yeah. Go with the flow. I can imagine a scenario where I divorce somebody and then marry them again. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I just think people are so messy. Like when you become an adult, you realize like people are so messy. And so there's no reason to be embarrassed. Just like do whatever you've got to do to fix your situation. And that is not to say everybody's going to be like, that does not mean I'm marrying my ex-husband again. I'm just (laughs) saying, I'm saying I don't think it's crazy to marry your ex-husband again. That's not, I'm not talking about myself. Yeah. I have no insight into any of this because I do agree that life is much messier than I thought it was when I was younger. And I just, human relationships are so hard and love is so hard. And I'm in a completely different scenario than I thought I would be like 10 years ago. And I'll probably be in a totally different scenario 10 years from now than I think I will be in right now. Yeah. There you go. What is your best piece of advice in general? What's your favorite advice? Okay. I actually heard this kind of recently, which is if you want to change your life, but you don't know like step one of how to get there, you should hang around by the hoop and hope that someone passes you the ball. And I kind of was thinking about this because, you know, I have friends who are lawyers, work in certain practice areas, but they like don't love it mostly because law school pushes you in certain directions and usually a lot of like corporate lawyers, but like they don't want to do that, but then they also don't know how to change. And even if you can't like necessarily just immediately go to your dream job or like have your dream life, I do think that hanging around the hoop and waiting for the opportunities to come and like immersing yourself in that environment is very, very helpful. And one day someone will pass you the ball. I love it. Yeah. What about you? I say this a lot, but it is my favorite advice. You can have anything that you want. You cannot have everything that you want. And so decide what you really want. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are deciding. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us this episode. Hope you enjoy the advice. And we will be back next week with another episode. I think this one will be about lies that we tell and hear in New York City, including the common and acceptable ones. So stay tuned for that. Thanks, babies. Bye. Bye.